0: Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm here with my co-host,
1: Matt Scott. And what is on the agenda for today, Matt? So we're continuing our principles of overlanding series this week with the basic overland gear that everybody should have. And we we think this is an interesting one because it it really applies to somebody that's going on their first trip as much as somebody that's driven around the world that's traveled extensively. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's, it's a good reminder of not only how little we need, but to reinforce what is most important to bring along. Now, again, we're we're never going to say that this is the ultimate list. This is the only list. I'm never going to say that I got it all figured out because I don't. This is based upon Matt and my experience. And it also brings in this idea that we may want to fly and drive, which means that we don't want this crazy huge list, but there's some things that we need in order to feel confident about traveling. So that's what this is really about, which means you could leave tomorrow, you could walk out your door right now with the money you've got in your pocket and you could figure out a way to travel around the world. People do it all the time. They travel with little or nothing. But what this is what this list is about is mitigating risk, managing risk, giving us a better opportunity of having a good experience, being able to manage challenges that come up as we go along. And uh, that's why it's very fundamental. This is really a fundamental list. So we're going to kind of start off with that.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think keeping it simple is a really important thing. Um, You know, when you're carrying your house on your back, you don't, you don't need to have absolutely everything that you do at at home. I don't know. I, I, I guess we both tend to travel a little bit lighter than most, but I, I think that's great. I mean, yeah, I like to travel light. In fact, even when I fly,
0: if I have to check a bag, it's pretty much because I'm sending motorcycle gear.
1: Yeah, and and I generally do think that overlanders are are pretty well prepared. Um, you know, again, where we were talking, this is going to apply to the beginner as much as the experienced guy. Well, maybe the experienced guy has started bringing too much stuff. You know, I always like to recommend go through your truck, put little stickers on on the stuff that you on everything. And after a few trips, after a few, you know, car camping trips or, you know, weekend, weekend adventures, if there's still a red dot on that, or there's still a little dot on it, maybe it's something that you don't need to consider. So you don't need to bring it along. Simplify because the lighter your vehicle is, the better gas mileage it's going to get. Um, the better it's going to handle, the better it's going to handle. I I really think that a lot of the problems that, that overland travelers have with their vehicles just come from Having too much crap, too much like, weight. You're, you're never going to be prepared for absolutely everything.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a mistake to try to do that because then what happens is you've either spent so much money or so much time, or you've allocated so much weight in the vehicle towards being prepared for everything that you actually do end up breaking down and you do end up breaking springs, or you spend more money than you should, and then you don't actually get to go on the trip. And that really comes back to, As we work through this list, very few of these things have anything to do with modifying the vehicle. In fact, uh, almost none of them do. So this is really a fundamental list. So this is the stuff that you want to have when you decide to go remote or to travel internationally when you're in unfamiliar terrain and unfamiliar locations. So what's the least amount of stuff we can bring? I mean, isn't that a fun thought?
1: I I think it's all about refining. Yeah. Right. And I I don't know. I, I I've done both. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have more than more than one vehicle. And I have a, like my gladiator is, has everything. It has the, the camper, it has the heater, it has the lithium battery system. It has, has everything that you really kind of want, but then it also, there's things that it doesn't have, right? Like it does not have um, crazy skid plates because I'm not rock crawling. It doesn't have sure. crazy rock sliders as the factory ones. Cause I'm not rock crawling. Like, again, you're going to hear me say, guys, you're probably not going to be rock crawling much when you're traveling. Yeah. But um, unless it comes up, unless it comes up and and then then that does happen in which this list is going to, you know, help prepare you for some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So communication, I guess, is kind of the first thing. And I think communication has trained, has changed drastically. So much. I mean, I, I have maybe more strong opinions on the subject. I'm I'm like the anti-ham radio guy.
0: Because you travel solo. I travel Laura, solo Laura, and every yeah.
1: yeah. And every time I'm on a ham radio, it's, hey guys, did you check out my old man emu number four five six suspension kit? <laughs> Use the radio for emergencies. I like, you know, an in-reach or a spot beacon or something like that. A lot of places these days also have cell service. Like it's not that hard to get to someplace that has cell service. Now, did you have a radio on your vehicle in Australia? We had a GMRS, I want yeah, to say sure. it was. And that was nice to be able to talk to truckies that were coming on single lane roads and things. But yeah, I think that's the upside there is for safety on those back back roads in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the nice thing with that system is.
0: Well, um, I, and I think it uh, maybe to be slightly contrarian on that, I think that it really depends on the traveler. So if you're in a group especially in a dusty area where you're getting a lot of distance between the vehicles, you start to easily outstrip the range of a, of a GMRS or, or something like that. I remember, um, one of the times I was most grateful for having a radio was actually in Greenland and we were in a whiteout and we were trying desperately to, to stay, keep each other in, in view. We couldn't see the other vehicles and we started to get separated and we were coming into this crevasse zone So the risks were getting much higher. And so we all stopped and we all started to communicate on the radios. What's our GPS location? And we triangulated ourselves and got ourselves closer and closer and closer until um, we were able to see the vehicles again. And and then I think about the times that I've traveled with other overlanders that are ham operators. Uh, They tend to have a little bit better radio etiquette when they're a ham operator because they know what you're Allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say, and then you can get a lot more powerful performance out of it. Yeah,
1: I guess I'm just antisocial and I don't want to talk to people. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and it's also worth looking into where you're traveling. What um, what radio frequencies are publicly accessible? Yes, Um, you know you, you may find that your chosen method of communication is fine in the United States, but the moment you cross the border into Mexico or Canada or you know you fly into Russia. Yeah, there's there's things that you don't want. Like I, I've even had friends with satellite phones and um, some places in India and they were on Thuraya satellite phones. And Super all, bad news. <laughs> and all of a sudden the Blackhawks come because the only people um, that use Thuraya satellite phones are not on our side. So y- you do have to consider that, I think, when you travel. Um, no, you actually make a really great point. I,
0: re- I remember we were in Ushuaia and we were heading back north and we were chatting on the on the two meters, and this guy, this guy comes over the the channel and says, "Identify yourself, me immediately. This is the this is the Argentine military. You're <laughs> you're communicating on a controlled station, and you know, and in, in perfect English as well. So this person was clearly monitoring radio communications." I mean, we didn't even have to say, don't say anything. We all went completely silent and shut the radios off. So <laughs> you're right. And I, I remember I remember smuggling a sat phone into... into- I'm not
1: recommending anybody do that, but... Yeah, um, they use- so it's really easy for them to tell when something's going on.
0: Yeah, you really... there's There are countries where that's a big no-no. You've got to know the, the location that you're going to if it's okay. Now, what tends to be okay in almost every country is something like a spot device yeah, or an in-reach. I've never
1: heard of any issues yeah, with Because
0: it's classified as a personal locating beacon, so it's for SOS only. Um, and that's why those tend to be exempt, even though now both Garmin and um, and the, uh, the spot devices allow for two-way communication. But do some research to make sure that you're not getting yourself in unnecessary trouble. I do think that there is... There is something I'm speaking for myself personally. There is something about going through the process of learning what you need to learn to get a ham radio license, understanding the frequencies. I enjoyed that. I've, I remember looking back on that and, and it's probably because the guys at expedition exchange, they like set this lofty goal, yeah. <laughs> this lofty expectation that I, that I felt like I continued to, to fall very, sh- very shy of, but it was uh it was cool to get that, to accomplish that.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're, that they're bad. I'm just saying that everybody, no, you're saying they're bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I like the beacons because when I, you know, you're going back to that, putting together that kit that you can fly somewhere, you know, I have a spot or an inreach. I forgot which one I have. And it's, it's just there. I change the batteries every year. Yep. So
0: yeah, I started using a bivvy stick and I'm not, I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying that I'm using it cause I'm testing it. Um, but it's too early to really recommend it. And then they updated it and I just got the new unit Uh, and it's so small. It's literally like the size of a, of a large cigarette lighter and it pairs with your phone communicates over the iridium satellite network, which means that it works everywhere in the world. So there are some very cool tools out there. Now I would just recommend that whatever you buy, make sure if, especially if it pairs with your phone, make sure that there is a way for you to transmit an SOS Without the phone, and that's because maybe you just got in an accident. Now the screen of your phone is cracked. You can't see the have some redundancy. Yeah, have some redundancy along with that, and and that's I think really what we're suggesting around communications is have multiple ways of communicating. And then if you're very remote, which we love to get remote, right? We want to go camp at that beautiful lake where no one else is, and we've driven a day to get back in there in low range if someone has a medical event or if your family has an emergency and they need to get a hold of you or you need to get a hold of them, uh, I really recommend that everyone consider a device like that. And then again, it comes back to that confidence. Once we have the device, we feel more confident going remote. So it's not like we've gained any skill. We've gained confidence and oftentimes that's all you need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I guess, listen to my advice, but don't there's, there's a, a large variety of different trips. The yeah. way I travel, I, I have, I have developed a system for the way I travel Yeah. and and it works for me. You know, if, if you're more comfortable with, you know, a ham radio or you're more comfortable with whatever that, that form of communication is, as long as it works, you know, you're going to be fine. So, but I think, I, I think we started off with communication because everything else that comes past this, if you get communication is very important, you have to have it, but everything else past this list is going to mean that you hopefully never have to use those personal locator beacons and all of that kind of stuff. You know, if you have the proper recovery gear, the proper tools, the proper spares, you know, you won't have to potentially ask for help, but it is yep. always a good idea to to have that.
0: Option. Yeah. Communication is first on the list, not because it's, it has to be the very first thing it's, it's because I generally see that as, as a way to overcome future sins. So like, it's the one, like if you forget your fire extinguisher and your truck burns to the ground, you get, you still have a way to communicate for help. So I think starting with communication in my mind, again, I'm not saying that, that my approach here is perfect. So the next thing that we're going to talk about navigation is navigation. Yeah. Which I find that again, this comes back to that idea of confidence, so if you can give people tools or you can, or they can acquire tools that gives them confidence to explore, then they're more likely to go remote and they're more likely to have uh, an adventurous experience. So what what have you used for navigation? Like, what did you use when you were traveling
1: around Australia, Matt? Uh, I used HEMA um, because HEMA actually creates maps, which is what I really liked about them. And, and it worked pretty well. We actually, we used, it was just called HEMA maps. Yep. Um, and that was essentially just a digital version of a, of a PDF. Well, yep. You get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Digitally rastered. Yeah. Yeah. Saying. And, and, and I really liked that because I was able to actually navigate because there were things that we were doing there that were very remote. They were cross country. There weren't even, you know, dedicated routes and, you know, Madigan line and things like that. So I, I again, juxtaposed from my opinion of communication, but I always have paper maps. I love paper maps Yeah, me too. because I, Frankly, I, I love to disconnect when I travel. Um, you know, I, I find that my day to day life is is in front of a computer when I'm working. And I throw I like to be able to throw away my cell phone unless I absolutely need it. And I love to kind of know where I'm going with those paper maps when I'm in Baja. I'm lucky enough. I have a Baja almanac. And I think there's a bit of a joy to pulling out the compass so, and actually so figuring so. out where you are and actually disconnecting. I, I find that a joy. Um, otherwise, I just use Google Maps for most things. You know, I used tracks for Africa when we were just in Africa and that was cool. Very helpful. Um, yeah. But I ended up finding that um, like all of these apps that I've used, they everyone that I've personally tested is just sucked. Like they, they don't they don't actually add any value. All most most of what these apps are doing is they're taking old USGS topo data. They're taking open street maps. They're taking available data of which Google is generally better at all of them. Um, and then they're putting it into an interface that isn't as good as Google Maps, and I just have not bothered. Now, if somebody is actually going to go out and and create maps, yeah, um, I would I would love to check out that app, um, but I just use Google. You can download everything offline, and I think especially for the people that are more interested in international travel, I found Google to be the best for international
0: travel yeah. for sure. And I mean, I remember. South America, any of the places that I've gone other than Africa, I do use tracks for Africa and in Africa. And then I do use the HEMA maps in Australia, but even then it's nice to have Google maps on top of that because you get more up-to-date current information yeah. and yeah, you can save it offline at all. I mean, it seems like, it seems like the apps, they usually have two advantages for me. Usually they have one killer feature like uh, Gaia has uh, the ability to to display satellite images and mm, it has the yeah. ability to display the seven and a half minute topos. And the reason why I like those original paper topos is it, it shows like uh, Indian ruins or it, it like it actually has all these cartographers notes yep. that you don't get with Garmin. Um, but that comes back to your paper map comment as well. So if you have topo maps for your area that you're exploring, you're going to get that same benefit. But then there's, there's some that have like, for example, a public land allocation. Like if, if it's uh you know, an area that's a state trust and you've got to yeah. have a permit, those kinds of things I think are beneficial. That is nice to know. Yeah. Those kinds of things are beneficial. I think on X has
1: something like that. Yeah, I'd but, like to, I'd like to test their, their thing. Cause I mean, they, from what I've, been told by others that's seems to be the leading the leading app right now.
0: Yeah, they're innovating relatively quickly, but Gaia has proven to be very stable, so it's I've gotten the best results for GPS tracks out of Gaia, but I really like just especially on the motorcycle, I like a simple robust Garmin GPS. Yeah. They survive nice. they survive the weather and the sun and they're daylight readable and they work with your gloves. And they, they always
1: reliably record a GPS And they record tracks. tracks. I, I don't record tracks much yeah. because I'm selfish and I just like to enjoy the experience while yeah, I'm sure. doing it. Uh, yeah, I'm usually working even
0: though I'm not working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think navig- when it comes back to navigation, start with paper maps for the area you, you want to go to you'll you'll get a lot of joy out of them sitting on your couch at home even spreading them out on the coffee table and thinking about where you get you want to go that's the one real advantage of a paper map is it's a much larger scale so you get to see so much more of the area that you get to explore when you're on a small screen you're scrolling around and you lose a sense of scale and a sense of of uh, where yeah. you're at yeah like the national geographic Trails topo ones, yeah, topo maps great, are really good. There's some good ones for Baja. With that, if you can't find a Baja almanac, and anyone who's listening, if you have a Baja almanac, your re- retirement is now is now <laughs> sorted. <laughs> so have some redundancy. Start off with paper maps. Learn how to triangulate. Learn how to identify natural features. That also enhances your experience. You
1: get to show that to your kids. You
0: get to go through that with your partner that you're yeah. traveling with. Some it adds my, a lot.
1: Some of my most prized possessions are the maps that I have marked up from in the moment. I yeah. have one from Africa. I have them all from Australia. I have them from Asia. I have everywhere. Like here's where we were. There's something cool about that. You know, that experience of yeah. just my entire life has been digital. Like I was born in the nineties. So like, yeah, when I was young, I used to have the Atlas and I, and I'd follow along, but you know, it's just nice to have an, you're
0: actual. not young now. You just um, turned 30. I'm Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> old soul. yeah, so. prematurely old. Um, yeah, so have some redundancy, get those paper maps and then decide what you want to use from there. Maybe it's a garmin, uh, they've got the new overlander, which is really robust for what we do. and then uh, there's other there's other GPS units out there too. We're not necessarily recommending one yeah, of them.
1: But, but no, like if you're on a budget and you just want to get out and travel, what you have in your pocket right now, most likely is probably fine. The phone will work just
0: fine, uh, but try to have those paper maps, try to have that redundancy. I think that that's really important.
1: And, and I think that that touches on, on a, on an important thing here that, you know, with, with all of these things, the, the travel is the most important thing, but this series is about overland travel. About and if the premium Garmin, you know, overlander, which is, which is really nice. It's probably going to make a lot of things in your trip easier. Isn't in the cards. Yeah, your phone will work just your, fine. Your, your phone will work yeah, just fine. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. So medical and uh, emergency supplies. This is something that I think is really important. There's no excuse to not have some kind of basic first aid training. Um, I think everybody should have should have this. Um, knowing how to do basic CPR, knowing how to clean a wound, knowing how to just do very basic things. I mean. Uh, what's what's the basic course that you can take? Is this first aid community first aid?
0: Yeah, you can do first aid and CPR, which CPR has changed significantly over the last decade or so. Uh, so it's good to get recertified on that. And then what I, the one I would really recommend people do is the the wilderness first aid. It's called a WUFA course. There's one that's slightly above that called WFR, WFR, a wilderness first responder. And then from there you can go to WEMT or wilderness EMT. When I was a full-time firefighter, I was a EMT, and I learned a lot. But there's so much more that comes with backcountry care and wilderness medicine, uh, which is primarily around improvising using available tools. So many times we're we're under-supplied to handle a lot of medical emergencies. So maybe we use a stick to stabilize uh, a joint, for example. But for the most part, we we do want to have medical supplies with us. We want to be prepared to care for ourselves and for the people that are with us. And then we also need to think about the medications that we need. Uh, do we need anti Do we need uh, something to manage a GI issue? You, you you, had a bad, bad tacos, which I've never had bad tacos where I've gotten me sick, but I've definitely gotten oh, sick. Man. I've definitely gotten sick in my travels, having those kind of medications along uh, managing a headache, et cetera. Again, we're, we're not, Matt and I are not doctors and we don't play them on the internet, but there are some basic things that you're going to want to have in those kits and you should do some research on on what that would be. Um, one of the kits I really like because it's super fundamental is this, it's called What If Survival is the name of the company. Uh, first Aid Response Kit is what they have. Um, no affiliation, not an advertiser, but um, it's just a really, really good kit, a really effective one. So, you know, I think that starting off with a good kit like that is, is key. It's got a tourniquet, it's got scissors, it's got a way to break a window and it should all be super yeah, and accessible. And all of that
1: stuff is important, but it is, again, only useful if you know how to use it. That's right. right. So that training is really important. Um, you know, if you don't have training and you don't have time to get training, um, some people don't, just get a basic kit. Um, yeah. You know, but also I I think it's one area that it never hurts to go a little bit overkill on, because if you if you do have that way to communicate, whether that's a ham radio or it's two way satellite messaging or a phone or a satellite phone, having that stuff there yep. allows a medical professional to walk you through in an explicitly in an emergency and how to use it.
0: Absolutely. In fact, when we were doing both Greenland and. Antarctica. Now in Greenland, we had the advantage of having Doctor John Solberg with us, but in Antarctica, we had access to telemedicine, which means yeah. that i had a I had an emergency room doctor on call that i could I could call a number on the sat phone, and a, an emergency room doctor would be the first person to pick it up. It's not an assistant or whatever. It's literally you get immediately on the phone with someone who can walk you through if you've forgotten how to use a nasal pharyngeal or you're working with some medical kit that you're not familiar with they may be able to help help talk you through that in the field so uh, you may want to consider some form of a telemedicine option as well on the motorcycle the kit needs to be even more compact and then uh, you know there's other good companies out there like adventure medical kits and, and yeah and, and
1: the considerations change on a motorcycle too you're you know you're way more likely you know, the sounds to be probably more likely to need some kind of GI stuff. So like yep. a Z-pack or something like that, cause you're going to be eating local food more all the time. Yeah. Um, you're also going to be way more likely to, to fall on a yep. motorcycle. So you need to be prepared. You need to know how to splint. You need to know how to, you know, road rash, like, do you need to clean the wound? Yep. Um, you know, there's, there's parts of the world that still don't have, you know, good access to, to healthcare and some places that you're going to be even, even in the first world, even in California that you're just going to be so remote that you need to be able to fix the problem. Yourself. Yeah, for sure.
0: So. And I, I always bring along one of those emergency dental kits and I always bring along uh, the syringe kit, you know, so when you mm-hmm. walk, when you walk into that clinic in the middle of Uganda, you can hand them like, these are all, the, this is everything you need, all the syringes, all of the needles access IV, all of it so that, you know, they're using everything fresh right off the bat. So it's, it's a good idea to have that stuff along. And I do carry it with me on all of my trips, I always have some version of that kit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then you know, let's think emergency supplies for the vehicle too. Fire extinguisher. Yeah. Every one of the if your vehicle is modified, even if it's not modified, have some kind of fire extinguisher in there. Um, you know, they're very affordable. Make sure that it's appropriately rated. Make sure it's something that is rated. You know, for automotive fires. Um, you know, and and then I always just have a a, a, a small kind of fix it kit yeah, you know, sure. In, in in the car. So have a, have a flare, have a, have a, a, a road sign. Um, yeah, you know, yep. it's actually in some countries it's required it for you to in have most countries a it's flare required, yeah. or a, or a safety, triangle yeah. safety kit. So, um, yeah, just, you know, be prepared. You don't have to be too prepared. And I think my advice is just re have a realistic look at your trip. Yep. Um, you know, in the same way that, I like to carry paper maps because the thing that is most likely to go wrong on a on an overland trip is that you're going to get lost. Yeah. Well, for me, the second most likely thing is probably that somebody's going to get sick because they ate something. Yep. Be prepared for these things, and it's that prior preparation that's going to prevent poor performance. That's
0: right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um, exactly. I like to have. Um, this is maybe a
0: little bit outside of the scope of basics, but I do like to have a little bug out kit. Um, I, I make sure that the backpack is never anything tactical. I made the mistake of doing that early on. And when you're in other countries, it looks tactical. It it looks, it looks tactical. I've seen
1: people get strip searched in Japan because they were for, for no other reason than they were dressed in all. I mean, they look like seal team six and in some countries, if you look like seal team six, they kind of go and say,
0: huh. Yeah. So I do like to have a little bug out kit, just a very simple pack um, that just looks like a backpackers pack. You would see somebody... Crossing around Europe, and then I I just shove some basics in there. That's where I make sure I've got my communication device, I've got some water, I've got some uh, like a small puffy jacket and a, a tarp and stuff like that. And the the reason why I started carrying that is um, the first time I had a vehicle fall into a crevasse, um, where you're like you know I'm on the top of the a- you know the a- Yoko glacier in Iceland, and the vehicle just broke through a snow bridge, and I'm teetering, and and uh, you know we were lucky to get out of there. It, it could have been, awesome. it could have been so easy that that broke through and we needed to get out of the vehicle very quickly. And the second time I realized the critical nature of it was when we had a vehicle fall through the ice and a frozen lake in Greenland. <laughs> So, it, you know, like so quickly, these things or a fire, we've all it seen, happens the, quick. we've seen the video where, you know, the Jeep Wrangler catches on fire and the, the guy has just a few minutes to grab some basic supplies. So vehicle fires do happen, a failed water crossing with a flowing river, those things happen. You need to be able to grab some basic supplies, again, to communicate and stay warm and dry until help arrives. Yeah. I,
1: and on that fire thing, recognize that most of these, most fires can be prevented. Yeah. Um, you know, there's certain vehicles that have, you know, like the uh, North American spec defenders had an oil line that would eventually rot and then spew oil everywhere. And then right. all of a sudden, you know, your perfect Land Rover is burnt to the ground. But get that stuff sorted, you know, before you go. So you don't have to use this stuff. That's right. Um, well, what do we got next, Matt? Yeah. So tools, spares, basic fluids. Um, here's my favorite thing to do is I like to work. And I'm not saying that I always do this, but for a period of time when I get in a new vehicle, I like to work with the factory toolkit and I like to I like to bring tools into that factory kit because then I know what I actually need on top of it. I don't know. That was some great advice that I received a long time ago.
0: Um, yeah, it's so true. If you're going to bring along a CV axle to to replace it or repair it in the field. Make sure that you have the hub nut that yeah, you know, yeah socket that can remove that nut. All of those those basic spares. Do some research. Go on the forums specific to your vehicle and find out the stuff that tends What's to go. What's that wrong. one
1: web forum that has all of the different sections for people that are traveling overland in different vehicles? It's called. <laughs> Portal Expedition. Yeah, exp- yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Check out I Hate Mud. If you got a Land
0: Cruiser, go on to Expedition Portal. There's so many. Facebook groups too. Yes. You know, I, I guarantee you. So many great resources saying, out there.
1: Go, go to a Facebook group online and say, hey, I'm going to drive this obscure car around the world. What should I bring? People are probably going to be really excited. They'll want to help you. Yep. Um, and
0: they'll know what you should have. Because there's, like I when I had Land Rovers, I always brought fuel pumps along with me. Because yeah. that was the thing that was most common to just completely leave you stranded. Yeah. And then there was a couple little relays. Once you figured out what the kit was, it wasn't so bad. Um, yeah. But uh, you just have those basics. You just have those basics on there.
1: My, my toolkit for my Land Cruiser involves a ham sandwich. In the Pacifica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. Perfect. Tire repair, know how to repair a tire before you go. And even if you haven't done it in a while, and maybe it's time to just find that old tire and, and fix it. It's something that most people can always get better at. Um, it's the most common failure that we're going to have
0: in the field is a tire failure. So be prepared for that. If you have anything along with you, make sure you've got a way to air up a tire. If it's slowly yeah. uh, a way to air it back up after you've repaired it, if even it if
1: it's a foot pump or something, right, anything, um, you know, anything's going to be better. Um, know know how to do that. You know, always have a full size spare. Yeah.
0: Yeah. New tires are so good. And if you're paying attention, there are some people who are very tire failure prone, so they should probably have two spares. But most they're always people people that
1: don't actually pay attention. They're they're the person. They're the same people who like drive up Uh, onto the embankment and then roll their car for no reason in the same way that people don't move the six inches around the around the sharp rock or they don't they don't consider that into their line. Um, That was how I got my first flat
0: on a trip was just not paying attention. I was fiddling with a GPS and I got a flat. So that's when that stuff happens. But in general, you don't need if you're doing a lot of solo travel, you
1: may want to consider a second spare. And it's just something and it is an instant game over if you don't have it. You don't have a way to repair it. You're you're just not going anywhere. So. Yeah, so I guess recovery is the next logical thing. Full disclosure here, guys, I, I am the U.S. Max Trax distributor. Um, I, I had used the product a long time before I was here. So yeah, we're going to talk about recovery boards and all that stuff. But I think even if you don't go down that route, self-recovery is really important, whether that's a winch, um, whether that are, those are recovery boards. Um, I mean, even like a, you call my tear fruit style. I always just call a a hand, hand, hand which, uh, it
0: uses, uh, the steel cable and it, and it has these this set of teeth that it
1: kind of like it's a really extensive ratchet yeah, strap
0: very yeah very yeah. extensive ratchet strap <laughs> and it and it they can usually handle a couple thousand pounds uh, they're a great addition to a winch too if you're in really muddy technical terrain and you're doing some very complicated recoveries they can be beneficial for that but if you've already got a high lift on your vehicle learn how to use it bring along a high lift recovery kit so that way you can use it as a winch if you need yep. to versatile yeah have a have a shovel uh, in your kit, you're going to need it for when you go to the bathroom, you might as well have a shovel to yeah. get yourself unstuck. Well, we both like
1: that Glock entrenching tool. Yeah. It's really, great, super really high small. quality. They're like, I mean, it's, it's actually made by Glock. Yes. The Glock, you know, pistol. But yeah. Re- really cool. I mean, I, I have one of those on all of my cards. They're awesome. A, a shovel is always going to be better to have than, than not a shovel.
0: And then I think it's important to have a way to do self-recovery. I've been with groups and I've gotten stuck on my own. I remember going screwing around on the beach while everybody else was having tacos and I got stuck. And so having a way to get self-recovered, even if you're in a group is important. You may get separated. You may decide to go do a side trip or something like that. So always have a way to get yourself out. Uh, That can be a winch um, if you're in in the deserts you may not be able to connect to a tree. So have a way to do self-recovery or, or know how to do that, get training on how to do self-recovery and yeah, using training a winch. Is
1: so important. Um, yeah. if and, you, if you've never taken even a basic four wheel drive training course, you know, please do it. There are, there are a lot of resources. I mean, there's seven P uh, they do great training. They actually handle the stuff at Overland Expo. Yep. I know a lot of those guys, very friendly. Nina Barlow, she's, she's an I-4WDTA yeah. trainer. Um, so I-4WDTA is International Four-Wheel Drive Trainers Association. They are, you're, you're going to find one in your area. The guys are all top notch. Yep. Um,
0: yeah, there's Overland Training in Prescott, which is something yeah. that we used to run, but is now run by the guys at Fieldcraft. Who yep. Would, who are very, exper- very experienced guys. You want to talk about
1: guys that are going to teach you to be calm under pressure. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. A bunch of, you know, former, I, I call them blurred forces. out faces guys. Yeah, exactly. um,
0: and then start off with a Jack, start off with um, recovery boards. I think recovery boards are very useful because you can move them from vehicle to vehicle. You decide you're going to go out one day in your Jeep and the next day you're going to go out in your forerunner. It's so easy to move them from car to car. Um, you can You can walk down a a muddy road and help out a stranger that's stuck. Maybe you don't have access to it. And then they work in the desert where there aren't trees and it's more difficult to attach a winch to. So I actually like to have both. I like to have a winch on my vehicle and I like to have traction boards on my vehicle. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, I'll stay out of the traction board thing because of, because of ethics. I want to make sure that we're, uh, we're looking after the readers here. Yeah. So let's move on to just like preparing your vehicle. So, making sure you, making sure that you have recovery points is a massive thing. Um, you know, a lot of recovery points or a lot of what you believe to be a recovery point on a vehicle may actually be a a lashing point during transit. It's a transit lashing point. yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, Wrangler is great with that. G wagon is great with that. Um, gladiator, I mean there's there's several vehicles several manufacturers have actually offered rated recovery points. Yep. Now now something I do want to say is if you are going to add recovery points to your vehicle make sure that that it is a rated recovery point, right? An engineered recovery point. An engineered point. rated recovery point you actually want to see data on that. Um believe it or not like a dude that says it's good enough, oh it won't break, it's got grade 8 bolts or whatever. You want somebody that knows what they're doing on that, right? Yeah,
0: I think ARB makes rated recovery, rated points, recovery that, points that incorporate into several attachment points on the frame. I think uh, TJM does it as well. And You'll a see a hundred-
1: lot of the Australian companies that do it because there are actually like Australian design rules and regulations around what can and cannot be sold as a recovery point. Um, so if you have a vehicle, that that is a great place to look. Um, you know, but I mean... Frankly, like a lot, if the recovery point is engineered as part of the bumper, you know, usually it's fine. Yeah. Um, but I'm always weary of, oh, yeah, I welded these, I welded these D shackle mounts on myself. And I'm like, Ey! yeah. Like, there's no disrespect, but, you know, you can have a three quarter inch piece of cut steel, but, you know, they weld it onto, you know, crappy really... Chinese made discount parts buyer bumpers. I'm trying yeah. to say a company, but I'm not. <laughs> and just, just, just be careful there, right? Yeah.
0: Make sure that the, the recovery points are rated, uh, understand how that rating system works. What's the, what are they rated to? Uh, they need to be rated to at least the gross vehicle weight rating of the vehicle, uh, prefer preferably one or two times that. And then from that point, then you can feel confident to, to have a recovery when you're st- stuck in the mud. Yeah. But, and then, so let, we don't want to be exclusionary in this case. So there are, there are times like, let's say you, you love this this old Mercedes sedan and that's what you decide to drive around the world in, you still need to pay attention to self-recovery because you're maybe even more likely to get stuck. So a lot of vehicles don't have any recovery points or even a means of installing one So there is a way to do that using what's called a transit cluster. That, again, requires a lot of training and understanding of the limits. So they are going to be much less than gross vehicle weight. So it's going to need to be a very gentle, managed and controlled extraction. Uh, But uh, look into a transit cluster if you, for example, drive a Subaru that doesn't have a recovery point. And
1: I think that's where recovery boards just make so much sense. They make a lot of sense. um, For vehicles that are a little bit more obscure. You're not having to modify anything. There's very little risk to the end user. You know, recovery board's not going to snap and send shrapnel places. I haven't seen that. Yeah. I mean, it, you never know.
0: There's <laughs> there's some of them that were made poorly, and I think they did break and, <laughs> break and send off into different directions. But, uh, you know, I think what you'll notice so far in this discussion is we're not talking about modifying the car at all yet because you don't actually have to. I think that modifications are important when the conditions demand it. If the conditions don't demand it, spend the money on gas and tacos and experiences as we yeah, talk.
1: Needs we, versus wants. Just be right. honest with yourself. I mean, if you if you have a very generous budget and you want to drive the Pan American Highway on 37s with Dana 60s and yep. you want to do everything that you think you're going to need. But just travel within your means. Again, it's about travel.
0: Yeah, have that. Have those travel experiences be the priority, but we do recognize that these are the things that we're recommending. They are recommendations. We're not saying that you have to have them to travel, but we have found if you do have them, you're going to improve your your outcomes. Except for a full size spare. Yeah. Yeah. Full size <laughs> spare. You should probably have, although there's, I mean, how many times have we seen they people? Don't yeah, have, they don't yeah. even have spares. So, um, but you do want to have recovery points. It's a good idea to know where they are in the vehicle. How do you access them? Some of them, you need to remove dust caps and they need to be screwed in. If
1: you've bought the vehicle used, make sure that that hasn't
0: been removed or stolen or whatever.
1: That will be in your, in your toolkit. And that won't be there because, you know, they had their vehicle towed to the dealership or whatever. And then it got taken off. Just make sure that you verify that those keys are there.
0: Yeah, check that stuff for for how those recovery points are attached to the vehicle because, again, some of them are just screwed in. And oftentimes they have the provision for it because the tow truck driver will have a set of those on his vehicle, uh, but you may not have one in your car. So like if you have a BMW X5, it's probably not going to have the recovery point in the vehicle because the tow truck driver would have those in their truck. So make sure that you, uh, you buy whatever you need in order to, to have a proper recovery point. I think that that's important. Just
1: verifying, you know, I guess the next thing, loading and lashing. So everything that is in your car that is not bolted down or properly strapped is a projectile, right? I know nothing's going to go wrong. I'm a good driver. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter because the bus that just ran out in front of you because he ran a red light and you ran into him because you can only physically stop so quickly none of that stuff matters. Right. So that little fire extinguisher we told you to have, if that's not properly secured, I I have seen photos. I have seen accidents where things go through, go through windshields. Yeah. You know, so make sure that that's where if you're, if you're doing this really long-term and you have a, you have a lot of things to store, particularly a lot of loose things. um, That is where I do like, um, like drawer systems and, 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 and cases are, are, The the simplest thing, most vehicles will have lashing points in the trunk. Um, Let's make sure that those lashing points are actually strong enough because if they're on a Saturn, maybe they're not really meant to take the weight. But most pickup trucks or SUVs, generally, if it's a factory lashing point, that's pretty good. What you don't want to do is go to Harbor Freight and buy the little trailer lashing points and use them without a backing plate because that little, you know, that little screw that you just put through could find, it's just going to pull right out in an accident. It will. I like those roller cams, the little blue kayak straps.
0: Yeah, those um, work
1: really good. I like I
0: like the quickie tie downs, little ratcheting ones. Those are yeah. really effective. I don't like I don't generally like bungee cords for anything that's hard or heavy. Uh, bungee cords or bungee nets are fine for jackets and sleeping bags yeah. and things like that, but you don't want to use it to secure anything heavy because they just they they stretch. So they're gonna yeah. they're gonna stretch under those kinds of loads. Um, it, th- this is very fundamental. We just, it's just like when we talk about payload, if anybody that's listening to this podcast takes away the reminder of always lashing down their gear when they go on a trip, I'm going to feel like I won the day because yeah. it's going to really, it's going to save some heartache. So,
1: so camping, I guess, is an essential part of, of overlanding. Right? Yeah. You, you, oftentimes you
0: end up camping. Sometimes you don't. So this is really optional, but I did want to include it because again, um, we want to to be about the experience first, it's surprising how much can be done with the same stuff that you've got in your backpack, the backpack that you've used to go backpacking maybe even 10 years ago with all of those small stoves and sleeping pads and tents and everything else. Start with that. And then like Matt talks about, determine at the end of your first weekend trip, like, oh, this really didn't work or this is this goes flat or whatever or this wasn't warm enough. And then you start to augment your kit with the things that you really need. But then it's also possible to go entirely around the world and have an amazing journey and never camp once. Uh, so it, we're not saying that overlanding has to include camping. It often does. I think it's a, an added yeah, there,
1: experience kind to it. Of this so, thing where you're, you're oh, you're staying in hotels, you're not overlanding. Yeah. I'm like, well, Says who? Yeah. Everybody does. They just don't talk about it, you yeah. know? And uh, oftentimes the hotel. Sometimes you need a shower. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you need a shower. Um, sometimes you just need to sit and watch TV. Yeah. Sometimes you need to be away from the stimulus of other people, you know?
0: Yeah. Or, so. or like for me, I need to work every few days when I'm traveling. Yeah. So I'll get a hotel so I can get reliable Wi Fi. I can have a place to to stop and, and rest and, yeah. and write your
1: work. Yeah. And I think where I was going with that is, I mean, since this podcast is about the basic preparations you make for overland travel, recognize that if you're on a budget or at the opposite end, you're not on a budget, you know, maybe you don't even need that stuff. Yep. You know, I, I know that's my goal with this podcast is to get people to travel. Um, so well, just and, and be realistic. Yep. What works for you is what works for you. That's right.
0: And, and, For those that are listening, you'll notice we've gotten to the end of the list and we've not talked once about long travel. We've not talked once about some fancy roof rack or snorkel. We're talking about really about the fundamentals, the basic preparations for travel. People have gone around the world with less than this. So uh, these are really the fundamentals. And then once you start to travel and you identify either this is the place that I'm going and it requires a certain amount of capability, then I'm going to prepare for that. Or I find that when I do my trips, these tires just don't work for me and I'm going to upgrade them. Or my suspension is too soft and I need to upgrade the springs. But start off with doing the trips first and finding out what you really need, uh, not just what what looks cool on the glossy cover of a magazine. So, Make sure that you start with these fundamentals and then only add things that you need to. And then, we, you know, we've kind of got some additional thoughts that kind of come along this with this, these fundamentals, which is the first one is tell people where you're going. Um, make sure that you let somebody know. Now, again, we're not telling you that you have to do this. It's a good idea to let people know where you're going. If you If you've ever heard of Aaron Ralston and John Boy Canyon, you know, he had to cut his arm off because no one knew that he was there. And if someone had known he was traveling there, it would have, it would have changed the outcome. Yeah. So let people know where you're going.
1: Yeah. You know, and also Scott and I are both huge fans of mechanical sympathy, right? Again, overlining the goal is travel. The goal is, you know, the vehicle is a, is a tool, you know, it yeah. might be one that we get, uh, you know, emotionally connected to, um, but just drive conservatively, you know, yeah, be gentle with it. There, there's a reason that they pull people over for speeding because, you know, there's an exponential increase over the speed limit of your likelihood to get in an accident. Right. Yeah. Or when you're off road, there, there's always one guy who breaks everything and he always thinks he's a legend, but he's usually the worst driver out of all of the bunch. So again, get, get, get training and they're going to teach you mechanical sympathy. Yep. Just look after the vehicle. And generally speaking, the vehicle will look after you. If your vehicle's not happy doing 90, don't do 90.
0: Yeah. And that reinforces this idea that we've talked about with training um, that, that, teaches us the skills to be more effective with the vehicle that we already have as a driver. We can go further. We can go into more challenging areas without modifications because we've gained skills. Uh, And then that also teaches us those concepts of mechanical sympathy. Crawl underneath your car and get an idea and then also work on what's your daily inspection when you're out traveling. Um, It sounds like we're being super Boy Scout with that, but I have struggled so many times in my life by not just taking three minutes and looking under the car and noticing a little pool of oil or noticing the shock. That yeah, there's broke. always a
1: warning sign. Yeah,
0: yeah. And if you just take a take a few minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes to go through and check your check your belts, check your hoses, because you can fix that stuff when you're already in a cool place where you're camping, you're already in a spa or you're already in the city where you can get access to support. So do that day, those daily inspections as well.
1: Yeah. Figure out where you're going is, is also a big thing. You know, I, I went through a period where I like to kind of just get to a place and then talk to people and figure out what I wanted to do. And there's certain there's certain adventures in which that works good. Um, but I generally find that having itineraries like I, I love Google Maps One of the, for well, for many reasons. But for one of the reasons is that um, you can use my maps on Google Maps and you can actually go and save things on Google Maps they're available on your phone offline. I i have I have this, I call it my secret Baja map, map, for example, that has like every cool campsite that I've been to, every mission, every sweet taco spot, you know, every decent hotel, every, this is an emergency hotel, you know, tire shops, whatever. Like everything that I've found useful, but I just have the information there. I don't, I don't necessarily have a route planned. But yeah, sure. it's nice to just know where stuff is that 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 interests you. And I think it adds to
0: the experience, it adds to the excitement of going. It also gives you an opportunity to sit down with your partner, or whoever you're going to travel with, your buddy, your friend and uh, sit down and and look at the pictures of the places you're going to, get excited, do some research and then you're going to find that one little beach with the the mission and the great restaurant. And and the next thing you know, you've really added to your experience. So I do think that research is a fundamental and it allows us to best have our best experience. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes the best experience is no research at all. And we're not saying that that isn't true because it absolutely is. Yeah, there's some trips
1: that it's kind of fun on, but on others, I wouldn't want to maybe do that.
0: Well, Matt, you got any other thoughts on that?
1: No, just keep it about travel, guys. And um, hopefully this, you know, both, both people that are brand new to overlanding and, and people that have been around for a while, um, have, have something to take from this. Um, as always, you know, Scott can be reached. So you're dot Brady. dot Brady And then I'm Matt explore on Instagram. Feel free to reach out. Um, yeah.
0: Give us feedback. Tell us what you'd like to hear. If you've got questions and then, uh, Since this is very list based, we are going to have all of that in detail in the show notes, including some recommendations for products. Um, None of them are going to be based upon any affiliation. It's just going to be things that we we recommend. Uh, So take a look at the show notes to get those detailed lists. And we appreciate everyone listening. Uh, We appreciate everyone going out and seeing the world. And we also look forward to hopefully seeing some of you when we're out traveling about. Take care, guys.